0: welcome to the pain points of wealth the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating growing and sustaining your wealth giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod bob payne the boomer chris payne the millennial and ryan payne the generation somewhere in between
1: It's Episode 11, Pain Points of Wealth. The news in plain sight. You've seen the headlines. We give you the real story. And guys, it just seems week after week, it's the same story. A lot of uncertainty out there. Most Wall Street strategists have been very, very negative, very wary. Bob, Ryan, and Chris have been very bullish. Market continues to go higher. Bob, Ryan, and Chris continue to be right. Strategists continue to be wrong. What's going on? Well, you know what, right? There's a lot of cloud of, and I call it a cloud, or actually call it a fog of uncertainty. You know, with COVID and everything that's going on with the elections, but you know that seems to be overshadowed by the fact that earnings are really starting to get strong. And of the 10% of the S and P companies that recently reported their earnings, believe it or not, 86% topped the consensus expectations, and not to mention that, but headline retail sales rose almost 2% for September when it was only expected to be less than 1%. Yeah,
2: you're absolutely right, Chris. So meanwhile, we have good economic numbers almost on a weekly basis. We're in you know the quarterly earnings season that's off to a phenomenal start, but the analysts and the economists continue to be pessimistic on the outlook for stock prices. Barron's, you know, which is a great read, we all read it every week, they do a survey with money managers, and basically the average money manager thinks the stock market's going to close Where it is today. You know, it's like, what's the purpose of investing if it's not going to go anywhere? Very few were right at the beginning of the year. Very few are right now. Very few, I think, will be right in the future. But it just seems so
1: obvious to me, right? I mean, look, I don't have a PhD in economics. Bob, you might after all your years. You pretty much do have a PhD in economics. Is markets tend to trade off of fundamentals, and the fundamentals inherently are getting better and better, right? All we've seen is economic growth is picking up again. You just talked about those retail sales. They didn't do a little bit better than what estimates were. They blew the number out of the water. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. And, you know, Americans still love to spend. We've talked about that a lot. Americans have a lot of money sitting in their bank account right now. And earnings, which is look well, at the end of the day, the market's a slave to earnings. Earnings continue to come in better and better. I mean, the trend just seems it's like it's hiding in plain sight right now. And it just seems like economists and strategists have to keep looking at things like the election, this very contentious election, and the fact that we don't have another stimulus passed. And that just seems like that's where all the focus is. Meanwhile, economy keeps chugging along. It keeps getting a little bit better every single week as we do this podcast.
2: Well, Ryan, you know, you don't have a PhD in economics, but you do have a PhD in common sense. And you know, one of my number one indicators has always been to watch the properties at the jersey shore, right? You know, I'm in Ocean City, New Jersey. I watch what happens with, you know, new construction, what happens with sales. This past fall, everything. And I mean every single property that was on the market sold. I've never seen such a boon in, you know, real estate in Ocean City in my lifetime. Probably what we had like 2006, 2007, only then that was kind of a bubble. Now you got to actually put 20 to 30% down. You don't have these loans that you just take loans out and don't put any money down. But it's not just in Ocean City, New Jersey. I talked to our clients in North Carolina. I talked to our clients in Florida. I talked to our clients in LA. Everywhere in the country, real estate's booming because interest rates are the lowest they've been in our lifetime.
1: Well, Dad, that all sounds really good, but I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting a lot of calls over the last month and a half of my clients being very concerned about the elections and being concerned that, you know, depending on who gets in, we're going to see a major pullback in the markets. And a lot of my clients are trying to sell out right now to try and avoid that right now. It seems to me that we see the positives, but our clients and you as the investors out there aren't seeing that right now. Well, wait a minute, guys. My clients that love Trump are telling me that Biden wins. It's going to be a socialistic disaster. We're going to turn into a communist nation and stocks are going to sell off like you've never seen before. And my clients that love Biden... Are telling me that if Trump gets reelected, it's going to be the most disastrous thing ever for democracy and the markets as well. So, I mean, who's right here? Because obviously, someone has to be right. You know, if it's Trump or
2: Biden, one of them's going to tank the markets here, I have to think. Well, I think the fact that the market's holding up very well tells you that the market really doesn't care what you think. So, when you believe in something, and we're fortunate, we have 2,000 households that we talk to, you know, on a monthly basis. So, we kind of get the consensus opinion of the country. And I'll tell you right now, everybody's thinking the same thing. And when everybody's thinking the same thing, it's already priced into the market. No, it's a good point. And the other
1: question is, let's just say on the extreme side, Bob, you and I did this election call for our clients a couple of nights ago. And you know a lot of the questions were, what well, Biden gets in, taxes are going to go up. It's going to crush corporate profits. Capital gains rates are going to go up. That's going to make everyone want to sell their stocks before the end of the year, and you know the reality of it is it doesn't work that way. You know, first off, the Senate would have to become Democratic as well, right? They would have to have the majority there. Then all these things have to get passed, which could take another two years, you know, for that even to happen. Uh, and thirdly, who's to say that companies aren't extremely profitable in the next two three years because they keep cutting expenses right now? And we know that institutional investors basically drive the market; they're not subject to capital gains tax. So you know, a lot of these things sound really scary, but when you break them down, they're just not that realistic if you start thinking about it in practicality.
2: Well, let me tell you something that stocks love, guys. They love low interest rates. All Right right now, we have a Federal Reserve chair who has promised to keep rates lower for longer, longer than ever in history. We've got fiscal stimulus around the world. right? We have quantitative easing on steroids, like nothing we've ever seen, five times what it was in 2008. We've got the economy rebounding. The end of this month, we've got a GDP number coming out that may be, according to the Atlanta Now report, GDP Now report, as high as 30 to 35% Percent. On top of that, this vaccine's coming. What happens to the economy that the vaccine's distributed, Chris?
1: That's a great point, Dad. Yeah. When the vaccine does eventually come on the market, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of my clients are like chomping at the bit to start traveling again. I talked to one client yesterday who all they do when they go on vacation is go on cruises. So they can't wait to get back to start cruising. And we get a vaccine, all that stuff's going to start to reopen because everybody's feeling the same way. They want to get out, they want to go places, they want to start traveling again. So I think probably one of the most dangerous things right now would be sitting in cash because if you really miss that huge melt up in the markets, it's going to be really difficult not only to make that up over time, but having the uncertainty and the indecision of when to get back in. Yeah, I think that's the great irony of right now. You think by going to cash, you're playing it safe. But in reality, what you're doing is you're risking a huge melt up to the upside. Because like as Bob, you're talking about, because of low interest rates, because we have what we call de-urbanization, we've been talking about this trend a lot, like in New York City, everyone's left Everyone's going to the suburbs right now. That's why everyone's buying a car too. Car sales up 50% in the last couple of months. So that part of the economy is already cooking. What if we get that vaccine? And what if we start to travel again on top of that? It's almost like it's going to be the economy on steroids versus where we were in January pre pandemic. Like that's a crazy thought. And if you start thinking about it that way, man, oh man, I'm really scared to miss the upside here. And investors, you know, you should be too. You shouldn't be worried that we're going to see another big sell-off like we did, which could happen. But realistically, are we going to see a huge sell-off like we saw in March? Probably not. But what you might miss here is a huge melt-up to the upside. And if you miss that move, you miss that return, that's basically your next decade move in stocks. You might as well just sit in cash as we talked about a lot here.
2: So, Rob, if I hear you and Chris correctly, it's kind of like the election is a dam, right? And we got this pent-up demand you know, for the markets and for the economy to grow. And kind of the election is just this big dam that's holding everything back because it's great uncertainty, right? The market hates uncertainty. Well, once the election's over, it'll be certain. And one thing the market loves is certainty so it can move on to worry about the next uncertainty. So if that dam breaks, you're saying we could possibly have a melt-up unlike anything we've ever seen in history.
1: Exactly right. So there's all these people on the other side of that dam thinking about all-you-can-eat buffets on those cruises (laughs) and all those places they can travel to. And when the dam bursts, and to your point, Bob, once you have clarity after the election, yeah, buyer beware. Don't be sitting in cash.
2: Well, you know what? I'll tell you what, guys. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of saying every day, what happens in Ocean City stays in Ocean City. I'm ready for the dam to break.
1: It's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And guys, I thought we could have some fun this morning because us pains, you know, we like to have a good time. So I thought we could talk about some famous movie villains. We love movies. Dad, since we were kids, one of the biggest events in the pain household was always to go to a new movie is we could take some of those famous villains, some from our favorite movies... And we could talk about some of these villains that we come across in our financial life. And I still remember, Dad, when you took us to see Star Wars back in, I think it was like 1980. And I distinctly remember going to the movie theater. And I remember Darth Vader. And Darth Vader was kind of evil, but he was kind of good. So I thought we could talk about some of these things when it comes to investing. If you're used correctly, it could be good. But if they're not used correctly, they could actually be bad to your financial
2: health. Yeah. You know what, Ryan? I remember when you wanted to be a Jedi warrior and fly jets when you grew up because of Star Wars.
1: Sadly, I'm just a financial guy. You know, <laughs> My life didn't take the route I really dreamed
2: of. So... I'm here instead. Well, I'll tell you one thing that shouts out to me from Star Wars is this force, right? This overwhelming force. And there is a force in the market and been this inevitable, you know, march towards higher prices, larger economies, bigger economic data. I think one of those driving forces is interest rates, and interest rates have never been lower. Exactly right. We talked about how interest rates
1: right now are at the bottom of the bear, like you should refinance your mortgage. That's what Americans are doing right now, and that's fueling this whole boom in housing. And that's been very, very good if you're borrowing money, if you're buying a house right now. But you know where can that actually be a force that doesn't exactly work in your favor? Right. The other day, I was talking to one of my clients and they're in the process of not only buying a house, but also refinancing their primary residence. And they actually talked to me about potentially taking out more money than they needed to borrow because they thought maybe it'd be a good idea to add that back into the market right now. Which that is kind of an arbitrage, right? This is the first time I've seen it where you can borrow at a lower rate than the income that's generated on your portfolio. Like that's a pretty awesome thing. If I can get a three, four percent yield on my portfolio and I'm only borrowing it like under three percent, man oh man. Bob, have you ever seen that in your career?
2: Never happened, right? Lowest interest rates in our lifetime. Meanwhile, while dividend yields are 300% more than treasury yields. Unseen. Never, haven't seen that. Well, It did happen, but it was long before I was a financial advisor, actually before I was actually born.
1: Wow. Right. So it was back in like the 1940s or something, right? Correct. Yeah. Am I wrong about that? Yeah. All right. So yeah. And Bob, we know you were born in like what, 1970? I wish. You just look that good. I wish. (laughs) (laughs) But what happens if interest rates rise, right? We haven't seen it happen before. And Bob, your whole career, or excuse me, the start of your career- you actually saw interest rates rise and that can actually have a very detrimental effect on your portfolio.
2: And that's a great pain point, right? because when you look at the financial advisory force that's out there, 90% of them have never seen a bear market in bonds. Interest rates have gone down now for 40 straight years. So unless you're an old dog like me that's been in the industry for over 45 years, you don't even know what a bear market in bonds look like. And I'll tell you what, it can be devastating to your net worth if you're stuck in things like bond funds and fixed annuities and things that don't have any hedge against them inflation and no way to protect you in a rising rate environment.
1: Well, the biggest problem to your point, Dad, is about bond funds is that you don't own the bonds outright. So there's no set date of maturity. So if rates start to go up, that's going to push the price of the bonds down in that portfolio. And what I find with our investors is that they tend to be a little bit emotional. And when they see the value of their underlying investments start to decline, it tends to create a little bit of a panic, which creates a lot of volatility in the part of your portfolio that's supposed to be relatively anchored or safe.
2: Chris, if you want to see panic, you should have seen me back in the 70s when rates started to go up. And I was investing bond funds because my firm told me they were safe. And my clients call up and say, Bob, this goes down every month and interest rates are going down. How come I'm losing money? And I said, well, let me call the bond manager and find out. All my clients want to know is when are they going to get their money back? And he said, oh, Bob, uh, maybe never. Boy, you want to see somebody who was frightened and didn't understand what they sold the clients. That's why since the 70s, we've never let a client hold a bond fund. Ever. And it's even worse now because what hasn't been tested are these exchange-traded funds. And a lot
1: of the underlying bonds in these exchange-traded funds have never been traded. So they're so illiquid that if rates go up and they have to be sold and they've never been sold before, there's zero market for that. That to me has never been tested. It's probably one of the more frightening things that you might be sitting on in your portfolio right now because no one knows what that looks like when rates go up. And if it happens, I don't want to be the test case In some of those exchange traded funds, because it's one thing in a mutual fund, but exchange traded funds are like really territory we've never seen before.
2: Well, here's the best advice I can give everybody right now. This is the number one thing you need to know. The only true hedge in any portfolio, it isn't gold, it isn't buying puts, it isn't, you know, trading the market. It's owning high quality bonds that have a fixed rate of interest and a maturity date. The only hedge I've ever seen in 45 years that works, and it works every single time. You want to protect your principal? Own bonds that have a fixed rate of return and a maturity date and make sure they're high quality. And you have someone who knows what they're doing to be certain that they're high quality. Well, I guess that means Ryan's going to go out and sell his Bitcoin. (laughs) Never. Another villain from
1: the movies would be the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz, who's always obsessed with getting her hands on those ruby slippers I actually used to love that movie when I was a kid. I don't know if I should admit that. But I remember watching that when we had that old house in Ambler over and over again, because it went from black and white into color. And I thought it was really, really cool. And that's one of the things we see too, is sometimes you get fixated in your portfolio on maybe it's just getting the best return or minimizing taxes you know, where maybe you should be taking profits on your portfolio or maybe just paying the lowest fees without getting any value you know it's better not to be penny wise dollar foolish as we've learned when it comes to your financial plan swinging for the fences to get the greatest return could be really dangerous right like for example it's a lot like going out climbing and climbing without a rope you know the higher and higher you climb The further you're going to fall, the more you're going to get hurt. So I think when you're shooting for returns, it should be based on what your goals are rather than trying to knock the cover off the ball every time. I think what you're referring to here, Chris, is these tech stocks, which just keep going through the roof. And as Bob likes to say, don't confuse brains with a bull market. <laughs> and, you know, you're at a point now where it's just silly, some of these valuations. And I was talking to a guy this morning who was telling me how he owns Tesla. He's owned it for two years, and how could he ever sell Tesla? And the truth is, I said, well, you probably should take some money off the table here because at some point, Wall Street is going to care about earnings again. And when they do, it's going to be very, very brutal and vicious when it comes to selling a lot of these stocks. Like I found one of these software platform stocks called Fastly, it trades at 900 times forward earnings. That's 900 years. Years worth of earnings, guys. (laughs) It's insane. Where is that stock ever going to justify earnings like that? And that's where you have to be really careful here. And that's where you don't want to get too enamored with what's hot right now.
2: Well, you know, it happens at every cycle, guys. If you think about it, there was a time where the big hot stocks were the oil companies. And they're the worst performers this year. So every bull market I've been in since 1975, there's always this greater fool investment, right? I'm going to buy this even though it's at 900 times earnings because somebody who's a bigger fool than me is going to buy it from me at a higher price. So it's kind of like when you chase return, it's like trying to pick up mercury and you can't even get your finger. Every time you touch it, it moves. Meanwhile, you're fixated on trying to be in the hottest stocks and it's all based on past performance and you're not focused on your goals. And the long-term investor focused on goals is the one that has the best return over my experience and you know through my tenure. And so chasing return is really like chasing your tail. And to quote
1: a Payne family favorite movie, Wall Street, where Gordon Gekko says greed is good, greed, in fact, is not good and could potentially destroy your entire financial future. Bob, Chris, and I have now spent a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over $500,000 saved for retirement, and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review at www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click on the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right path to achieving financial independence. Simply go to www.paynecm.com financialplan financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right. The hidden facts of finance, random financial facts, that may surprise you or even shock you. So Bob, despite fears of capital gains going up, institutions make up the lion's share of investors these days. In fact, over 75%. And they are actually not subject the capital gains tax.
2: Yeah, I've been hearing that from clients almost daily, right? You know, if they pass this new capital gains, you're taxed at ordinary income, there's going to be this mass selling. But if the institutions aren't taxed, why would they sell? Furthermore, if I'm getting three, 4%
1: on my investment portfolio and capital gains rates go up, why would I sell and go to cash earning nothing? Makes no sense to me.
2: Yeah, it's one of the reasons why we're investors, not traders. Why pay more to the government than necessary if you can defer capital gains until forever? Why not? Amen, Bob. Chris, factoring in asymptomatic infections, as
1: well as mild cases that might not be part of the official tallies, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention puts the mortality rate of COVID-19 at just 0.65%. Well, the mortality rate for COVID is still substantially higher than that of the flu. But in talking to some of my clients that are in the medical field, one of the things that they're saying is that not only are they seeing fewer patients with COVID coming through their facilities, but also they're getting so good at treating it, they're getting people out within a couple of days to a week versus several weeks back in the early days of COVID. Yeah. And that has to be promising for what we've been talking about, the reopening of the economy. Again, just another reason to be bullish here. Bob, collectively, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Tesla have accounted for half of the NASDAQ 100s 2020 gains. That's four stocks, Bob.
2: I know. I love it, Rod, because I own those four stocks in my capitalization weighted index. But here's what I want everyone to know about the best performing stocks. Past performance is 100% indicative of past performance. It doesn't tell you what's going to happen going forward. And I can tell you one thing, when a stock goes up 100%, typically it doesn't go up 100% the next year.
1: Wow. I got nervous there. I thought Chris was going to put his entire net worth into those four stocks. Hopefully you stopped him. All right, Chris, at one point this year before its stock tumbled, Nikola was worth more than Ford Motor's $30 billion market capitalization. It now trades at $7.4 billion. Wow. One of the biggest difference between Nicole and Ford is that Ford actually has earnings. And last time I checked, Ford
2: wasn't accused of potentially being an entire fraud.
1: Yeah. I don't think they're wheeling those F-150s down a hill to make sure that they look like they're working.
2: Well, just to remind everybody, the risk in the market, you could have bought that stock at 93 in June and it's 20 today. Not only has Gravity pulled
1: Nicole's truck down the road, but it's also pulling down their stock price apparently.
2: <laughs> Clever.
1: Bob, US shareholder wealth has increased by about $14.2 trillion since the
2: market bottomed on March 23rd as measured by the Wilshire 5000. You know, right, it's not just the stock market, it's the real estate market too. As a matter of fact, the average household in the country today is worth more than ever in the history of the country. Not only that, when you look at the debt to asset ratio, it's one of the best ever in history. In other words, if you have debt, it's a lot less than the assets that you have. And the amount of money it takes to service that debt is the lowest in history because we have the lowest mortgage rates ever, lowest borrowing rates ever. The only person that doesn't benefit from this type of wealth appreciation Are those of you who are sitting in cash right now?
1: Bob, I love the optimism and I love all the reasons to be bullish. That's why everyone should tune into Pain Points of Wealth every single week. Great show, gentlemen. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind.
0: Thanks for listening to the Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management.